Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On the program tonight, Canada announces new funding for the international effort to produce COVID vaccines, but will that be enough to curb the criticism of Canada for accessing a vaccine fund for poorer countries? Ottawa's latest modeling warns of a new wave of the pandemic if health restrictions are loosened and maybe even if they're maintained. It's all because of those new variants. Ontario decides not to loosen restrictions in its hardest hit parts of the province. Our journalist panel will be in to weigh in on all the latest coronavirus developments. Well, we start with Prime Minister Trudeau, who had two announcements. The first was that the federal government is extending its major benefit programs for Canadians hurt by the pandemic. Two benefits will replace the CERB, the Canada Recovery Benefit and the Canada Recovery Caregiving Benefit, will both be extended by 12 weeks to a maximum total of up to 38 weeks. The Canada Recovery Sickness Benefit to help people isolating or quarantined with COVID will be extended from two weeks to four weeks. And some recipients of EI will see their eligibility increased by 24 weeks to a maximum of 50 weeks total. Justin Trudeau also announced that Canada is adding an additional $75 million to the international vaccine effort. Ottawa says that now, that now brings Canada's contribution to international COVID assistance to more than $2 billion. But some critics have been upset that Canada has decided to access at least 1.9 million doses of COVID vaccine from COVAX. That's the international fund aimed at helping lower income countries. Today, Justin Trudeau was asked if he might reconsider that decision after the World Health Organization asked wealthier countries to share their vaccine stocks once they vaccinated healthcare workers and the elderly. We know uh, that it is extremely important to vaccinate the most vulnerable quickly, and we've seen uh, the tremendous efforts that provinces, territories, uh, uh, and all Canadians have made. Uh, in terms of uh, beginning that vaccination process for our most vulnerable. Uh, we know there is still uh, uh, much more to do in Canada on getting our most vulnerable vaccinated, but uh, absolutely, once we've uh, vaccinated the most vulnerable, uh, we should also look at the most vulnerable around the world. It is part of our collective responsibility, and that is an ongoing conversation uh, that the G7 is leading on. The Prime Minister seemed to be agreeing with the idea of sharing vaccines when just Vulnerable and elderly have been vaccinated, but other Canadians still have not yet been vaccinated. So can you clear that up, please? Yeah, so as I said, uh, we have committed to share excess doses and the conversations about when that would take place are ongoing. Uh, we are obviously, you know, relying on officials from Health Canada uh, who, you know, are making these determinations. Our, you know, top priority is ensuring that Canadians have vaccines. But at the same time, we have also been leaders on the world stage when it comes to equitable access on setting up mechanisms like COVAX and ensuring that those mechanisms are in place when donations and exchanges are ready to take place. Joining me now to discuss Canada's contribution to the international effort to develop vaccines, but also that decision to access the COVAX International Vaccine Fund, is Katrina Plamondon. She is an assistant professor at the School of Nursing. She's a registered nurse uh, at the University of British Columbia, and she's also uh, one of the founders or one of the leaders of the coalition, the Canadian Coalition for Global Health Research. Let's start that again. Okay. 
Your title disappeared from my introduction. That's my fault. I will get your title right. Bear with me. Okay. And with the coalition of Canadian Coalition of Global Health Research. Okay. There we go. Thanks. Joining me now to discuss Canada's contribution to the international effort to develop vaccines, but also that decision to access the COVAX International Vaccine Fund is Katrina Plamondong. She's an assistant professor at the School of Nursing at the University of British Columbia, and she's a member of the Canadian Coalition for Global Health Research. Thanks for joining us, Ms. Plamondong. Thank you for having me. Okay, first of all, uh, the announcement today, $75 million to add to Canada's almost $2 billion uh, that's been pledged to different aspects of the COVID international aid. What do you make of today's announcement? I was really encouraged to hear about this this morning. I think it's a really important step that Canada can take to continue to be a voice for equity on the global stage and to um, really stand up to uh, the talk that we have as a country, as a, a country that believes in upholding human rights and uh, promoting equity globally, I think contri contributions to COVAX are really important, and I was glad to see this announcement. Okay, now that being said, you were one of a number of Canadians who signed a letter or expressed your concern about the decision to dip into the COVAX fund. Canada is going to be getting uh, at least 1.9 million doses of vaccine. Today, the Prime Minister was asked about that and whether he would reconsider that given what the WHO was suggesting. He seemed to suggest maybe, but then the Minister Karina, Karina Gould answered the, that we would only consider sharing our surplus vaccines. What do you make of those statements? Yeah, I think it's really important to be clear that um, actually what I signed a letter for was to encourage Canada to contribute to COVAX. And there's two arms that we can contribute to as a high income country. One of the arms is to contribute in kind of like a cooperative effort to pool resources. And so Canada made a matched fund um, contribution on the arm that would actually supply Canada doses and the arm that would uh, contribute to doses that would be available to lower middle income countries around the world. Right. And so I, our initial contribution was $220 million to both branches. So there was always, uh, it was always part of Canada's initial contribution. And I think it's unfair to criticize the government harshly on um, actually doing something uh, that, that was already part of the agreement that, that was there to begin with. So I think the important piece today, though, is that contributing to the arm that actually distributes uh, vaccine to those countries that have been fairly systematically excluded because of um, the behavior of high-income countries in vaccine nationalism and basically pre-purchasing uh, most of the world's vaccine, that redistribution and that access through COVAX really matters. Mm -hmm. And I think Canada can contribute um, or can continue to, to do things that actually stand for equity, like adding to their contribution on this arm of COVAX that uh, supports access to vaccine for lower middle income countries. I think we could also do more to stop um, opposing the the TRIPS waiver that's in front of the World Trade Organization right now. That would be another thing we could do that would really help uh, in terms of our equity um, uh, action. Mm -hmm. And I think um, it's it will be important for Canada to think very carefully about redistributing vaccines because we are the 
one of the countries that has far more vaccine doses secured for our population than we need. And I don't think that there is a specific plan for redistribution yet, but it is something that um, myself and other colleagues interested in equitable distribution of vaccine globally are watching quite closely right now. Okay, now I take your point. I mean, the government has also made the argument. They said that the original intent of COVAX was was not a secret. Canada would contribute to it, but as you say, we contributed to both parts of it, which meant that we would have also some vaccines that would be generated by COVAX. But what do you make of a lot of your, I don't know, colleagues or people in the development movement who say that, well, Canada was always able to do that but it's just unbecoming of Canada to actually avail ourselves of it. Um, and that now that the number of vaccines, the, the vaccine arrivals are starting to ramp up, that it even looks more and more unbecoming to be, to be dipping into something, even although we had a right to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the optics of it are not good. And um, Canada certainly uh, has, has come under quite a lot of uh, scrutiny for this internationally. And um, I know that this has been a a real target of debate uh, and something that opposition parties have really been critical of over the last uh, short while. I think, though, that when we're trying to navigate a really complex and difficult pandemic, uh, and we called on the government to contribute to COVAX in the first place, it's, it's hard for me to be terribly harsh on their initial contribution um, and then and then say you know we asked you to do this and you did it and now we don't want you to 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 carry through on on the reasons why you were able to do it so so that that procurement arm was part of the incentive to contribute to this global um, facility in the first place and some of the other g7 countries that have contributed and aren't withdrawing are under very different circumstances than Canada So some of those countries have their own internal manufacturing capacity. Um, That's something to consider. And I think that if the the current government hadn't taken advantage of those doses, I'm fairly certain the criticism would have just been on them anyways. It's sort of a catch-22. I think they're in a difficult position. Um, I do think that it's very important that Canada take steps right now to uphold their commitments to equity on the global stage. And how that happens um, is is yet to be determined. So if Canada is going to withdraw on these vaccines right now, then um, ramping up contributions to COVAX is important. Um, Thinking very carefully about redistribution is also important. And recognizing the fact that this is a global pandemic and you know, vaccinating our own population first uh, and with several years advantage over the global south is not going to end the pandemic any faster for anybody. It will just slow things down. So I think it's a complex question. I don't think that it's a black and white answer. And I think that um, the best we can do is to keep equity at the center of every decision moving forward. Okay, Ms. Ms. Plamondon, I thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you for speaking with us. Thank you for your interest. Well, federal officials released their latest pandemic modeling on Friday, and they are sounding a warning of a new surge in the pandemic fueled by variants of the virus. They say Canada can expect a dramatic rise in new cases if public health restrictions are eased, and even, they are suggesting, if the current level of measures are maintained. Joining me to look at the latest modeling is Dr. Lisa Barrett. She's an infectious disease researcher and clinician at Dalhousie University in Halifax. Dr. Barrett, first of all, thanks for joining us. 
Uh, thank you. Okay, I think I set up my first question in the introduction. Um, if I read things right, uh, what struck me was that the specialists and the, the modeling is suggesting that even with existing measures, the suggestion is that these variants may be, we may be in for a dramatic rise in cases. So what do you make of uh, the, the modeling? Well, I think the modeling is very well done, number one, and reliable, which is important. So I don't think it's strange that that's the conclusion they've come to, mainly because let's get back to the basics and what we've learned about this virus and the variants of concern, highly transmittable, more transmittable, no symptoms during the transmission period for at least part of the time, and therefore case to case to person to person spread very quickly. Not surprising that we're gonna to have to do probably more fast and differently. So that is, I mean, but that begs the question when people are debating whether we should be loosening public health regulations across the country in different jurisdictions. And the suggestion here is that we're not doing enough. Mm -hmm. That's true. I do think at this point, there are very different regions to this country. Mm -hmm. Dividing things into smaller areas than provinces is going to be necessary because there are some regions and areas that may not need to grossly change or increase their restrictions to deal with these variants. They will need lots of border control, lots of testing, but they may need to not need to go back into full lockdown. However, places that still have hundreds of new cases, if they decide to loosen the precautions we have, let alone increase precautions, they're going to see a rapid rise in cases and I don't think that's unexpected, and I don't think we can sugarcoat that anymore. Okay, well, that sounds, well, okay. Um, Dr. Teresa Tam was asked, you know, how sure are you that this modeling will come to be? And, and, and you know, the exponen almost exponential rise, even with existing measures, is there on the graphs. She said that this is not absolutely cast in stone, but she said, and you alluded to it, that what's necessary is going to be, and how many times we heard this, testing, tracing, but then she added sequencing. How, how good are we? I mean, this is a year in now. How good are we in Canada, all three of them? Because now sequencing becomes essential. Right, so tracing, we have a big role as Canadians still to play in making tracing more efficient. People have to download the COVID Alert app. People have to be a little bit aware and allowable in terms of privacy if they do become a contact of a case to make tracing more efficient. I think we've got a ways to go. Two, testing, we've got to be doing a heck of a lot more testing than we're doing right now in order to deal with these variants quickly. And then number three, the sequencing part, that's something that's new, not just for Canada, but around the world. We need to be coming up with, like people are trying to do at the moment, rapid ways of detecting variants that are very important and linked to transmissibility. So there are new assays under development, but we have to do that quickly, even then, this needs to be clear for people. Cases are always yesterday's news. We need to be looking forward and anticipating using tools like modeling in order to learn what we need to do next. We can't always look in the rearview mirror and we have to take good advice from people like Dr. Tan. You, uh, you were part of a movement to, to really clamp down and test. You, you were there on some rapid testing. You were in charge of some of the rapid testing in Halifax, and you got on top of an, uh, of an outbreak. With these new variants, we saw how fast they can move in St. John's and the Avalon Peninsula, and we're seeing that in parts of Toronto. Um, most of the major urban centers in Canada have basically thrown in the towel when it comes to contact tracing. 
So what kind of prospects do we have in Canada with these new variants? Well, I, I think the tracing was very limited when case numbers were very high because during the acute or really big part of an outbreak, the right move is send everybody home and get the distance thing down because if everyone stays home, that link for transmission, the chain of transmission has to stop. So that's the right answer during peak periods. But now if people start to open things, change restrictions, have more contact without a lot of testing, and that includes not just for people who are contacts, but asymptomatic people, we are going to miss this. I don't know how many times I can say this more clearly. This is not the flu. It has a longer and bigger time when transmission occurs without symptoms. We have to get people into the idea that routine and regular testing for everyone is a really important way forward or else we're going to keep slipping back and ping-ponging in and out of lockdowns and I really don't want to see that. A lot of people have been saying now uh, endlessly it's a race between vaccination and variants but uh, then other people are saying well no, that's a dangerous assumption that we're nowhere near vaccinating anywhere near the numbers and the percentage of the population, we still have a long way of just containment and, and shutting down. How do, where do you weigh in on this? Absolutely. I, I mean, I'm an immunologist. I'm a vaccine advocate. I am strongly in favor, not just of any vaccine, but of COVID vaccines. And I think people should get them. That is not going to change what we need to do in Canada and the world. This is not a Canada problem. Yeah. This is a global problem, virus moves with people. And therefore, it's gonna be a while before we can rely on vaccines, whether you give one dose or the recommended two doses, in order for us to change significantly what we do. So amazing long-term tool. This is the marathon part of the COVID fight. Vaccines fall into that bucket. However, the rest of the things we need to do are not gonna change soon. And variants of concern are of concern on multiple fronts. Increased transmissibility, maybe in some cases a little bit worse disease, but also the potential to move, shift, and drift away from the vaccines. The best way to prevent that is to get cases down hard and fast as we vaccinate. So we can't give up on the core parts of our prevention and management strategies right now. Opening things too quickly in places with too many cases in the hundreds is going to be a disaster. Okay, on that cheery note, thank you very much, Dr. Barrett. Um, but it, yeah, as you say, it's back to the basics. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Joining me now to talk about the week in federal politics are Mia Rabson, who is a parliamentary and national reporter for the Canadian Press, and from Calgary, Erica Eiffel, political contributor to the Hill Times and co-host of the Bad and Bitchy podcast. Both of you, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for Thank having you. Us. Okay, well, let's start with COVID-19 developments today. I mean, the, the one that we saw today was the Prime Minister coming out of this virtual G7 meeting, announcing more money for the international vaccine effort. Uh, Mia Rabson, you got a question into the Prime Minister today in his press conference asking about the, whether he would reconsider accessing the COVAX fund for uh, largely for poorer countries. Uh, what do you make of it today? 
Well, so the prime minister did announce more money for COVAX, but I mean, COVAX needs a bit more money in the in the long term. But what they need right now is doses. What's what everybody needs right now is doses of vaccine. And what Canada has not committed to do is is sort of give up the doses that we bought through COVAX. It's for us a very small portion of the total number of vaccines that we're supposed to get. Right now, it's about 1.9 million doses by the end of June. And with just the two vaccines we've already approved, we're getting like I don't know, almost 30 million doses by the end of June. So this is a very tiny amount. And for a country like Canada, which brags constantly about how many doses we've we bought, uh, potentially of all of the vaccines, to sort of say, well, we're still going to take this little bit. Even though we can, it doesn't mean we should. And the Prime Minister said several times today when he was asked about it, that yes, the G7 is trying to get more people, more vulnerable people around the world vaccinated, not just in Canada, that he knows the fact this pandemic doesn't end just because we vaccinate can Canadians, we have to vaccinate the world, and yet we're still insisting that we're going to take this 1.9 million doses of, uh, at the moment, AstraZeneca's vaccine, instead of just saying, you know what, maybe those could be better used for vulnerable people in countries that haven't been able to sign all of the deals like Canada. It's, for them, it seems just, it just sort of seems uh, bizarre at this point that they have not said they will just give up these doses. Okay, Erica, what do you make of it? I mean, obviously the government doesn't want to give up that potential source of vaccines. Uh, are you talking about COVAX in particular? Yeah, the, the COVAX issue specifically, yeah. Um, I mean, this announcement is, follows a, a good couple of weeks of bad press in terms of uh, the government accessing COVAX. And while, yes, I know some people would say that it is they are allowed to do so. Yes, they are allowed to do so. However, being the only country, only I would say, you know, Western country or Western democracy to do so is a bad look. It's also a bad look um, because it does fly in the face of the spirit of COVAX, uh, which is to provide more equity of access to these vaccines. So Canada um, sort of raiding the kitty is just an awful, awful look. Um, so, you know, I'm not surprised that there has been more, um, I would say, attention to this and attention to that equity. But, um, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting is that um, the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is the vaccine that, you know, would be provided through COVAX, is one that, that has been dubious in terms of of the South African variant, so much so that South Africa has pulled it. So um, I'm not sure where we go from here in terms of writing that, like squaring that circle. Yeah, yeah. and it's interesting too, because uh, anyway, this is very much into the weeds here, but it's also uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine is taking quite a while for Canadian approval. There seems to be still information that Canadian regulators, Health Canada need. I want to ask you, this is a week where we saw, and you alluded to it, Mia, we saw the government saying, no, the ramping up is starting. The big lift, uh, as the Prime Minister calls it, the the acceleration of vaccine deliveries is starting for uh, for real. Um, is the government at a point of seeing a light at the end of the tunnel? Uh, Mia? 
If we go by what's happening this week, I would say yes, they are. I mean, we got 403,000 doses, uh, 403,650 if we want to be exact. Um, and when we, Canada also reached a milestone today. Uh, the reports are saying that we hit 1 million people getting at least one dose of vaccine today. So it took us a while to get here, but it's a big milestone. You see provinces today in Nova Scotia, Ontario, Alberta, they're talking about expanding to seniors who don't live in long-term care or retirement homes in the coming weeks. Yeah. We're talking about things that a week or two ago, it just seemed impossible to. So yes, absolutely. If we go by what's happening this week, it does look like things are getting better. But as we found out a couple of weeks ago, things can change very quickly. All of these vaccines are still in the in sort of early stages of production. There's no doubt that there can be further production issues. And, and I think Canadians are probably going to have to be prepared that there will be another bump eventually. It's not going to be smooth sailing, but I do think that for now, for the next few weeks at least, it looks like we'll get some more vaccines. Maybe we'll start to calm down a little bit about our anxiety that we're not vaccinating fast enough. And maybe that will be the opening for the Prime Minister to say, OK, we don't actually need these doses from COVAX. We can't get them right now anyway, because we haven't approved AstraZeneca, as you mentioned. Um, we were kind of expecting it to last week, maybe this week, still not here. My understanding is that there's concerns not really about the variant as much as it is about who to give it to, because there's questions about whether it's a, a really effective for seniors mm -hmm. um, and they're trying to decide what the label should actually say who it should be used for um, and that's taking a little bit of extra time but if we haven't approved it yet then taking these doses from COVAX won't even matter because by the time we approve it we'll be so well into this that maybe that's when the Prime Minister can say we don't need these doses it'll be better to give them to, to countries and let more vulnerable healthcare workers and, and elderly resident uh, people who live in poor countries who don't have otherwise access, mm -hmm. uh, maybe they can get these vaccines. Okay, Erica, I want to ask you, you, you answer either of these questions. One, the projections today, we saw new modeling, and they again are repeating that we are possibly in for real trouble with the new variants. Either a reaction to that or the light at the end of the tunnel politically for the government and the vaccines. I don't know which we, you prefer to weigh in on. Uh, I'll do a melange. How's that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, it, the, we are really in um, a race against time here with the variants and uh, the variants, which have, I think, I think they've made quite a presence in Quebec and Ontario. And to be honest, Alberta, mm -hmm. uh, we are in a race against time in terms of how quickly those variants spread mm -hmm. versus how quickly we can vaccinate people. And so it's more than just a political matter right now. The you know the light at the end of the political tunnel. Sure, um, it really is a public health race right now, and so uh, you know, given that Alberta and Ontario have decided to open back up, how uh, you know where are we going to be in a worse position later? Because now we have um, added stress on the system in terms of those variants. Or, um, like, provinces really have to, to think, is this the right time? I would prefer uh, a longer lockdown, get everybody vaccinated, and then start to open back up. Uh, I may be in the minority, I, it, you know, who knows? But I, I'm actually concerned that um, we might be in... Uh, in trouble, a lot more trouble later, especially as the, as this third wave starts starts ramping mm -hmm. up. Okay, uh, last question to you, Mia. Uh, we're both into Ontario, and Premier Doug Ford has decided to heed the public uh, public 
health uh, officer's advice in two areas, well, three, North Bay, but also in Toronto and Peel, but he's going to open on the advice of York, uh, York Region, York Region being ensconced right between uh, Peel and Toronto. Uh, I wonder what you make of what's happening in Ontario. I don't think that that uh, the premier had much of a choice when you had the Toronto public health chief yesterday saying that she's never been so scared basically yeah. in her life about uh, this pandemic to, to date. Um, that was a very frightening statement for many. Um, and I think it was maybe a bit of a wake up call for the government that opening for in Toronto right now just doesn't seem to be the answer. The problem for these variants is not they travel faster. And they're a little harder to contain once that genie's out of the bottle. Right. Uh, you've, you've seen that happen in the United Kingdom. They've been in lockdown uh, since Christmas. They're just starting to get a handle on things there. They still, their schools are still not open, right. as far as I know. But he's announced, uh, but he's announced something which is, seems to be talking a genie out of the bottle. The genie can cross Steeles Avenue and go into it, York, York Region. I'm just wondering it about is that. One of the it's one of the problems they've had since the beginning. I mean, even before Christmas, right? They had only closed down in Toronto, but they hadn't closed down in Niagara and Hamilton. Yeah. And people from Toronto were going shopping, going to the movies, going to restaurants because it's not that far. And then they had to close those regions too. So uh, it, it is a little bit of maybe a problem. I mean, this virus doesn't say, okay, I can't, I, I'll stay in Toronto now. It's not really like it knows borders. Um, but I think there, it's also part of the delicate balance. And he's listening to what the local public health officials are asking. And I believe York said, uh, we're ready to open a little bit yeah. uh, they're not opening up widely it's just a little bit um, so the, the key now is whether or not they're ready to close very quickly if they start to see the numbers creep up uh, we have not seen any willingness government or public health to do that very quickly sort of saying we're going to close down in two weeks well it's it's too late they need to be able to close basically overnight if okay. they start to see a rise and i haven't seen anyone suggest that they're ready to, to to make those kinds of decisions and impose them that quickly okay well on that i think uh, we'll be talking about this in the future i want to thank you erica and mia thanks for taking the time thanks for speaking with us thank, thank you. you for having us well that's all the time we have for this edition of primetime politics from all of us here at cpac i'm martin stringer thanks for watching and have a great weekend